that the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. And welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. On the program, part two of my conversation with urban economic geographer Elliot Simiatiki about Vancouver's transformation from a city, uh, a productive city, into a city of consumption, dominated increasingly by real estate and tourism. We discuss what the future might hold for Vancouver as a city of consumption and whether it is desirable for the city to chart an alternative economic trajectory. You're tuned into The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us.
And welcome back. This is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. We're back again, part two of Vancouver, Consumption City. Above all, Elliot Simiotiki writes, the many paradoxes of Vancouver's contemporary economic development trajectory are exposed in the words of local workers, firms, commentators, and industry experts. Vancouver is simultaneously the most livable and unaffordable city in the world. Vancouver is a leading creative city in which creative firms and workers alike struggle under conditions of precariousness. Vancouver is mythologized as a healthy, sustainable lifestyle city, while these very qualities often must be sacrificed by working Vancouver residents. Tracing the underlying story and challenges of Vancouver's emergence as a global consumption city provides important insights into 21st century urban development. And those are the words of Dr. Elliot Simiotiki. Elliot Simiotiki is a postdoctoral fellow at York University in Toronto, and he completed his PhD from the University of British Columbia in 2013. His PhD research examined Vancouver's urban economic transformation over the last three decades, and his dissertation is titled Consumption City, Precarious Labor and Capital in Vancouver, British Columbia. In this hour, I ask Elliot Simiotiki, what does the future hold for Vancouver? I ask whether there is honesty among Vancouver policymakers about the challenges that come with a consumptive-oriented economy. As, as an economy characterized increasingly by significant job losses in key local economic sectors, below average levels of productivity and exports, and relatively low incomes. And we'll also discuss whether Vancouver is forever stuck on this path of real estate, tourism, and consumptive sectors, or whether there are alternative pathways forward. And if you didn't catch the first part of uh, this discussion um, that was uh, featured on last week's program, uh, we're going to quickly revisit Elliot Simiotiki's major findings um, in this research and then move into the discussion about Vancouver's future and the possibility of these alternative paths forward. This is The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions here on CITR, syndicated on CGSF, and available as a podcast from thecityfm.org. Thanks for being with me. Up now, we have Dr. Elliot Simiotiki. First of all, do you want to give me a bit of a broad outline about uh, what you found in your research? So my research was um, aimed at both giving um, a kind of analysis of Vancouver's economy, as well as some of the issues around precarious employment in different key sectors of the Vancouver economy. And um, one of the key findings, I think, is that this idea of precarious employment is emerging and leaking, you might say, into um, different sectors of the economy than we're normally uh, used to considering seeing precarious employment. So my research was designed to compare different experiences um, across sort of lower-skilled occupations and higher-skilled occupations. And what we've seen is um, the growth of precarious employment across different uh, sectors of the labor market. Great. And uh, I guess to to jump in more specifically to some of these issues, uh, can you give us a sense of of what's going on in Vancouver um, and uh, maybe give us a bit of a history, um, the, the urban economic transformations that have occurred over the last um, three decades or so? and what's been going on, and bring us right up to the present. 
Sure. Um, Vancouver is is a pretty uh, interesting city in terms of its uh, sort of economic underpinnings. You'll often hear people ask, "What do people in Vancouver do?" or "Why are there always people on the beach at 2 p.m. on weekday?" Those are the kinds of things you hear, especially from uh, people that are visiting the city. Um, and so I think. Certainly as, as an urban geographer and as an economic geographer, my initial kind of aim when I was doing my research was not necessarily to track uh, the changes in the city's economy per se. I was really more interested on the kind of labor um, and kind of job side of, of, what, what I'm, uh, of what I've been studying. But it's impossible to study issues um, in the economy without really understanding how Vancouver's economy has been transformed over the past three or four decades, I would say. And so basically the way um, the way I look at it and the way I've, I've argued Vancouver has changed is that up until the 60s and 70s, Vancouver was very much um, a kind of command and control center for uh, the province's uh, regional staples economy. Uh, this is something that, uh, that that Trevor Barnes has called Vancouver as a staples as a staples center, and so all of the um, areas around Yale Town and, and the warehouses and and you know parts of Vancouver's current downtown uh, office towers, all of that was geared towards um, the resources sector up until the 1970s and 80s, and. What my research has picked up on, and there's a, a very large literature um, that's, that's looked at this, so this is primarily what I looked at, um, was that there was a shift in Vancouver's kind of economic foundations or fundamentals in the 1980s. And a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, price problems and, and problems in the economy around resources. So there were um, two sort of massive economic crises in Vancouver during the 1980s. And those really kind of, I think, shaped how the city would uh, transform itself moving forward. And so in my research, I really see the period from 1986 when Expo uh, happened in Vancouver to 2010 uh, when the Olympics were hosted in Vancouver. I see those as the kind of bookends of a period of very rapid and fundamental transformation in the city's certainly economy, but also its its kind of cultural and demographic um, underpinnings. And so, what I think has happened is that the city has um, lost a lot of its kind of productive aspects um, that were that were based on resources. Much of that has has kind of uh, either moved or declined to a certain extent. And there's been um, much more emphasis on what I've come to call uh, consumption-oriented uh, factors. So things like real estate and tourism um, as the kind of keys to the economy. And so what we've seen is that the city's structure, the city's feel, uh, the city's image of itself, all of those things have changed um, very fundamentally over the past three decades. And so what I found in doing my research was that it was impossible to just look at um, the labor market or look at people's jobs without understanding that relationship between 
the job side of thing and the broader economic change. And, and that's kind of where my research went, which was somewhat unexpected. So my research has, has looked at um, some of the changes in the basic fundamentals of Vancouver's economy. And one of the interesting things that we've seen over the past three decades is something that really no other city, uh, certainly in North America and, and maybe in the world, can kind of say that it has this particular economic relationship. In Vancouver, the uh, level of uh, incomes, the median incomes for the city relative to all other major cities uh, in Canada, Vancouver has the lowest average incomes, the lowest mean uh, medium incomes. And yet it has the highest uh, uh, housing costs on average for a city uh, of its of its uh, of a city for a city of its size in Canada. So normally when we see a rise in the cost of housing, it's explained by the fact that the economy is growing, people's incomes are improving, and that's what's pushing up the cost of housing. But in Vancouver, that relationship breaks down, and there's um, you know there, there's a good amount of research that that kind of points uh, in that direction. So there's a fundamental problem, something that we don't normally see in other cities, and the answer here, the way of explaining that, is that there's been a huge amount of investment into Vancouver um, that hasn't derived from the Vancouver economy itself. And so that's why in my research I've looked at the sort of nature of Vancouver as a consumption economy and what explains this rise in the cost of housing um, if it's not local incomes. And the short answer to that question is that there's been a huge amount of investment coming from outside of Vancouver. It's not all foreign investment, that's for sure. Um, as a lot of people think, there's um, you know, investment coming in from mainland China and Hong Kong and parts of the Middle East. There, there are investment streams from there, but that's not the whole of it. There's also a lot of investment coming in from other parts of Canada and, and, uh, and the Western United States. So what we've seen is that in this 30-year period, I think it's fair to say that Vancouver has fashioned itself, it's, it's, it's promoted itself as a place to be, a place to live, a place to enjoy, um, not so much a place that's you know, great for doing business necessarily, even though when you actually look at its, um, its sort of business fundamentals, it's got very low tax rates, um, it's, it's got a relatively friendly business environment, but um, it's lost a lot of head office jobs. It's lost a lot of um, sort of knowledge, economic activity. So my, my read is that the economy has shifted away from what I call the productive side of the economy and towards the consumption side of the economy. And my dissertation was really about understanding the challenges that come about from an urban studies perspective, from a labor studies perspective, and also from a geographical perspective, from that basic tension. Is there, is there honesty among uh, policymakers? And I imagine you talk to a number of people in this research, but uh, is there a bit of candor about a lot of these issues that Vancouver is dealing with and a lot of these inherent paradoxes in, in, in how the city is positioning itself and an honest take um, or look at the economic trajectory of the city? 
You know, that's a tough, that's a tough question. Um, there are definitely people that recognize a lot of these challenges and paradoxes. And then there are other individuals that sort of are willing to take uh, some of those kind of surface level successes um, and, and kind of treat those as, as, as the be all and end all. And so I think there, there, in, there are sort of interesting conversations happening and there are interesting um, kind of ideas swirling around. But my sense is that the mainstream um, sort of elites in the city, politicians, planners, are not fully engaged in getting much beneath the surface. And, you know, I, I think one of the interesting examples of that is uh, the city's affordable, affordable housing strategy, which, of course, the city needs some strategy around affordable housing. Um, but it's been somewhat narrowly um, kind of thought, thought about. And, you know, the, 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 the issue that, that we're seeing in Vancouver, which is similar to other places, but in some ways, again, it's more intense, is this, the challenges that what we would consider middle-class people and middle-class job holders are facing. And in Vancouver, because of, um, you know, the history of the downtown east side and all of the um, real kind of issues and challenges that need to be um, sort of considered and, and, and thought about in that context, I think we often miss what the majority of people in Vancouver are facing. And in some ways, that was um, one of the things that I really wanted to, to do. I think a lot of urban research on Vancouver has been... Um, really, you know, in terms of social issues, has been looking at issues around the downtown east side, issues around um, sort of certain cultural groups and their participation and inclusion in the city. And those are all very important issues. Um, and, and certainly they require, um, you know, as much attention as anything else. But, you know, there are a lot of, um, a lot of people that are outside of that sphere that are still facing challenges. And so, this research was trying to kind of give voice or give coverage to some of those people that really aren't having their voices heard. And so I would, you know, I would certainly like to see a broader discussion um, in Vancouver of, of some of these issues and, and a more honest discussion. You know, certainly I can remember having uh, conversations where people didn't really want to talk about this. Things look successful in Vancouver. You know, it, it's got the... the, the the postcard view, everything seems to be good. And, and it's only too easy to kind of uh, live above the surface of those images in Vancouver. But I think if you're going to be honest and if you're going to you know, really think about improving the social and economic and cultural and sustainable context um, of Vancouver, you need to get beneath that surface. Has there been interest in your research um, from policymakers, planners, um, others in the city? So I've had, um, I've had some interest in the research. Um, it's been mostly uh, to do with issues around the creative economy and creative jobs. And I should add to my list of paradoxes, the, the paradox that to me is in some ways most interesting is what I call the creativity paradox. And 
that has to do with Vancouver's uh, image and reputation as as a creative city. So recently, Richard Florida has ranked Vancouver, uh, Van- uh, Canada's creative cities, and Vancouver is amongst the top creative cities in Canada. The problem is that the creative industries in Vancouver face challenges and are beginning to decline. And so I'm thinking particularly here of the video game sector and the film sector. Um, those sectors are facing a lot of challenges, and a lot of it has to do with the cost of housing, the, the challenges of attracting talent, and the cost of, of space. And my read on uh, the city's strategy around Hootsuite, which it sees as a strategic firm, and I, I to a certain extent, agree with them on that, uh, they, they think that they need to offer incentives to keep Hootsuite sort of planted in Vancouver. And so the research that I've done, um, where, it's, where it's gotten sort of mainstream coverage or, or policy coverage, has been about, you know, the extent to which that's a good bargain. Um, and, you know, on this, on this sort of issue, I, I'm, you know, I'm ambivalent. I, I understand why cities um, try to offer these incentives to attract um, these kinds of businesses. They, they are increasingly the businesses that are providing good jobs in 21st century cities. So if you wanna have you know, good, well-paying jobs and if you apparently wanna have a prosperous economy, then that's a way to go. The problem is that these businesses are highly, highly mobile and they're, they're in some ways by design not very rooted. So a video game, you know, um, studio can very easily be moved. It's not like there's a huge amount of fixed capital. It's not like there's a huge amount of space requirements. If, you know, another jurisdiction is offering better tax incentives or, you know, you know, better costs of land or better whatever, then these businesses really have to consider that. And they do. And the, the history of the recent history of Vancouver's video game sector shows only too well um, that businesses are leaving Vancouver because of its economic, uh, because of its lacking economic competitiveness, and that that's a, that's a major issue. That's a strategic issue that has not really been solved to any great extent. Do you think there are some alternative futures out there? Um, a, a certain issue that I think is on a lot of people's minds is Vancouver as sort of a node um, in in flows of of uh, commodities. So um, how does it orient itself with increasing resource extraction and not necessarily just Vancouver, but more broadly the province and sort of the politics around the pipeline and resource extraction, fracking, LNG, this sort of thing. And maybe how does that, how does that come down to play in Vancouver and the politics of, of Vancouver and of the region? And then secondly, to think about is, is there a possibility if it's sort of you know, we're on this road and uh, we should just stay with what maybe Vancouver is seen to be good at. Is there a possibility for things like the living wage campaign movement to really take hold? The current um, government, uh, Vision Vancouver, has not has not embraced um, becoming a living wage employer at the city level. So are, I, I guess, are there, are there alternatives out there or is it more of the same? And then is it just a matter of then working with what we have? So that's, that's, those are, Great questions. Um, you know, to the first question, I think there's, you know, there, there's definitely 
a a a problem when you're trying to envision yourself as a green and sustainable city that's a great place to live um you know people are are going to be upset about uh you know a kinder morgan pipeline bringing uh you know you know ca- causing any number of different problems it could be an aesthetic problem it could be a problem of sort of lifestyle and experience it could be something about sort of environmental morals and ethics so you know that sort of challenge is a serious one and 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 what's been sort of really interesting um you know to see is how that process has played out at the broader regional and provincial scale and you know here the 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 um you know the provincial election last year i think pointed to how different the viewpoints are um of people in the province of british columbia that that you know what what seemed to be a good um you know a good strategy for vancouver and and perhaps for for victoria turned out not to be such a good strategy um for adrian dix and the ndp and 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 he came off as the kind of anti-economy um politician and that didn't bode well given given the kind of broader economic currents today so i think those there's i think a deepening separation of um sort of economic activity but also you know you know basic values and priorities between the region of vancouver and and the rest of of british columbia and there are going to continue to be more and more of these challenges um as resources becomes a bigger part of the canadian economy and that that's another sort of interesting point that all of this vancouver as a consumption city is happening within the broader context of of canada being reconceived by some as an energy superpower and you know it's not surprising to me at all that there's been you know a massive wave of um you know social activism around these issues these are these are tough issues and again they get back to some of those basic tensions that we've been talking about what kind of city is vancouver going to be what kind of region is the vancouver region going to be and and how does the region impact or or try to influence decisions beyond its own borders but within the borders of the province those are those are major questions um and you know in uh in terms of the second question um you know i i i think i think there are there are alternatives there are alternatives to vancouver simply going down the pathway that it's on but in reality Vancouver isn't even really as a whole just following that consumption oriented pathway. I think we're still at a stage as we've seen where you know some people in the city believe that we should still you know that the city should still be trying to become a kind of business core and the hoot suites of the world are 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 really important to that to that vision. Um and there are other people i think they're they're not as sort of well known in the mainstream but there are people certainly in the real estate industry um and in different 
sort of sectors of the economy that are saying, you know, we should just kind of ride this consumption wave. And one of the other key points that should be made is that education is a really, really important plank of this consumption-oriented city. And I see what I, what's being what's increasingly being called educational tourism. That's a key part of Vancouver's economy. It's not just about um, you know tourists coming to visit Vancouver for the week or the weekend. It's about you know attracting uh, international students to you know Simon Fraser and to UBC uh, and our. Uh, outgoing, the outgoing president of UBC has been a very vocal advocate of trying to attract these kinds of, of, of students. Um, it's also about walking around downtown and looking at all the language schools um, that are sort of popping up. That's a key sort of industry in the downtown core. Um, and, you know, my view is that whether you like that vision or not, that kind of tourism fits very well with Vancouver as a consumption-oriented city. Um, so I, I don't think that, that there's really been a, any kind of um, broader discussion and certainly not a decision made, a single decision, about which direction the city should be going in. Um, and so, we'll, as I said, we'll continue to kind of see those tensions. But my sort of view of things is that there, there definitely are broader alternatives beyond that kind of um, dualism of a kind of production, business-oriented, knowledge city, uh, and a consumption city. And, and you know, it, it will take sort of broader changes to our global economy. But, you know, the whole idea around Cascadia and, and a kind of linking of, of different regions that are more self-sufficient, I think that's a very... Um, you know, it, it wouldn't take that many changes to the way things are going now for that to become a viable alternative future. And if that is the case, it's just another reason why certain kinds of economic activities such as agriculture should be protected. We can't just assume that the global economy is going to continue chugging along the way that it has and that, you know, everybody will be specializing in its own thing. I think there's very good reason to believe that things will start going in the opposite direction. And if that's the case, then, you know, Vancouver will be in partnership with, you know, its West Coast neighbors. And, and you know, there, there will be opportunities for more kind of self-sufficient and sustainable development going that route. I, I believe that. The last question I want to touch on is um, one about Vancouver's one of Vancouver's primary exports, which we could argue is uh, its its model of city making itself, the Vancouver model. And I just want to ask you what what you think the implications might be for other cities looking to Vancouver um, to lead the way and and emulate the Vancouver model. That's a great question. And when I talk about my research outside of Vancouver, I, I, I must say that everyone is fascinated by Vancouver. Everyone is interested in Vancouver. There's a huge amount of um, energy uh, and cachet in Vancouver. And the way that that has been translated thus far um, has mostly been about basic planning principles and design and architecture. So what what Vancouver has exported that way so far has been a certain kind of condo tower, a certain kind of amenity-led development, and maybe you could argue some 
issues around transit-oriented development. That has been sort of Vancouver's export in this in this realm of city building. Um, I, I, I think that there is some opportunity for Vancouver to um, have a more valuable base of exports coming out of its own experience. And you made mention uh, in the last question of a living wage campaign and the degree to which uh, Vancouver has or hasn't, in this case, been uh, been interested in that. Here in Toronto, there's also a living wage campaign um, that's that's sort of adding has momentum uh, from a, from a number of different quarters. And I think the major lesson um, to be learned has to do with the connection between the housing market and different areas of the consumption city and the job market and the productive sectors. And what Vancouver shows is that it's very easy for those things to get out of balance. And when it does happen, it creates a lot of different challenges. It creates challenges um, for people economically, socially. People are in Vancouver disproportionately isolated. And I think those are um, connected to, to, to broader, to these broader issues, uh, sustainability challenges that we talked about. So my view is that if people are actually looking closely at what's going on in Vancouver, there really is a lot to learn. Uh, it might not be an economically valuable export per se, but it's a very, very useful export nonetheless, especially as cities sort of prime themselves to, um, to you know, increase their uh, you know their their cachet, their livability. These are these are what cities are talking about now. They want to become more like Vancouver, and I think part of the implication of my research is that there needs to be some kind of corrective that says you can't just go down this route and look for this kind of urban development without really taking seriously some of those challenges that we've been talking about, and so. If the city is going to continue on in this consumption-oriented trajectory, then I think things like the living wage campaigns, uh, campaigns around um, certain kind of jobs uh, and, and certain kind of access to jobs and access to training, I think those are, are going to be sort of really key planks of a more balanced uh, urban model moving forward. And if, if you don't do that, then we know that there are consequences. We know that there are health consequences, that there are safety consequences, that there are economic consequences. So we can't continue to just go along as though the Vancouver model works perfectly. There are a lot of different challenges, and they really do require attention both within Vancouver and to all of the places where Vancouver's model is currently being exported.
And this is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and that's CJSF.ca. And uh, also available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst, and uh, thanks so much for tuning in to the program. This is an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. And uh, on the program, we heard uh, part two of my conversation with urban economic geographer Elliot Simiatiki, and we were discussing Vancouver's transformation from a productive city uh, into a city of consumption, or a, con- a city dominated increasingly by uh, consumption-oriented sectors, as uh, Elliot's uh, work has demonstrated. And uh, Elliot Simiatiki is um, uh, uh, graduated with a PhD, um, and his dissertation um, from 2013 uh, is called uh, it's called, uh, <laughs> let me find it, uh, Consumption City, Precarious Labor and Capital in Vancouver, British Columbia. And we heard um, that conversation over two weeks. And if you missed the first uh, first part of that conversation, you can check that out at thecityfm.org. And uh, today we heard um, sort of discussing um, the paradoxes um, within um, Vancouver and with the current uh, trajectory that we, we seem to be on. And whether it's um, if it's something that we want to to challenge or see if we should chart a different course, um, and and whether there is um, some recognition that there are certain challenges that the city and the region face, um, and some honesty in dealing with them, um, and what some of those solutions or alternatives might be. So, quite an interesting conversation um, with Elliot Simiatiki, and it was uh, a real pleasure to have him on the program. So again, if you missed any of that, check that out at thecityfm.org. We're going to wrap up the show here on um, here on CITR and syndicated on CJSF. Um, you're listening to CITR, 101, uh, CITR 101.9 FM on uh, the program here on Tuesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. and syndicated on CJSF Fridays 10 to 11 a.m. And be sure to follow the program on uh, on Twitter with the handle thecity underscore FM. And also uh, check us out on Facebook uh, by searching The City Critical Urban Discussions. And again, uh, you can find the program and um, the podcast archive at thecityfm.org. We've got actually some pretty interesting discussions um, from the past couple weeks uh, going back earlier um, in February, uh, talking about the the election of um, uh, Bill de Blasio in New York City and the, the transition that this city seems to be in. So again, that's uh, uh, at thecityfm.org, um, pretty interesting conversation about New York City and the politics um, and, and the transformation of that city. So we'll be back next week with more critical urban discussions. Uh, we're going to go out with a few tracks. Um, stay with us. If you're listening on CITR, we've got Flex Your Head coming up next at 6 p.m. If you're listening syndicated on CJSF, you've got Democracy Now! coming up next at 11 a.m. with Amy Goodman. Thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.
spring is in the air and Montreal Transplants The Backhomes are bringing their unique brand of reverb-heavy sunblasted psych pop to the Cobalt, Thursday, February 13th. They will be joined by Joe R.L. Phelps of legendary indie rock band Silkworm and Speller. For more information, check out Facebook or thecobalt.ca.